0: Welcome to Top in Tech, Global Council's weekly podcast on global tech policy. My name is Conan Darcy. I am the regular host of this podcast and a senior practice director covering tech, media and telecoms policy at Global Council. It was a dramatic week last week in UK tech policy. Brad Smith, who leads public policy at Microsoft, called it the darkest day for that company in all the time that it's been active in the UK. This followed the rejection of Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard by the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, which is responsible for digital competition policy within the UK. But not only did we have the highly controversial decision that the CMA took with regards to Microsoft, we also had the UK government Publishing legislation that will bring in the digital markets unit. This is going to be a body that will increase scrutiny of big tech companies in the UK and will do little to allay the concerns of Brad Smith and his colleagues in Microsoft and counterparts in Activision. So, lots to get through today, which is why I'm delighted and fortunate to have Bart Miners with me, an associate in our London tech policy team, and he'll talk us through. What's happened and what it means. So, Bart, um, if we could, I know that the the drama was all on the Microsoft Activision decision, but I think I'd like to start first with the bill that was published last week. It was known and it is known as Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill. So, can you just give listeners a very brief overview of its main measures and also what types of companies do we expect it to impact? The Digital Markets Competition
1: and Consumer Bill, or DMCC bill for short, because it's quite a mouthful, uh, can broadly be separated into three buckets. Uh, It will place the Digital Markets Unit, or the DMU, on a statutory footing to oversee and enforce its new digital competition regime. It will empower the same DMU to intervene directly in platform publisher disputes, and it will introduce new obligations for online services to combat fake reviews and subscription traps. The most significant of those provisions are the ones that concern digital competition. The DMU will be able to act to maintain and uphold fair competition practices by imposing obligations on tech giants with entrenched market power in at least one digital activity. The DMU will have at its disposal tools including conduct requirements, pro-competitive interventions or PCIs, and stricter merger controls. All of this is backed by a punitive penalties framework with fines of up to 10% of global annual turnover reserved for the most serious breaches. The SMS designation threshold, strategic market status, uh, is very high. Um, Global annual turnover of £25 billion or £1 billion in the UK. So the scheme will only apply directly to between five and ten firms, at least initially, like Google, Apple and Microsoft. However, smaller challenger firms like Spotify or Skyscanner will look to benefit from the DMU's regulatory intervention, with competition in
0: previously unassailable sectors theoretically set to become more viable. So, thanks, Bart. That's a great summary. And it's interesting to note what the impact of the digital markets unit, at least, will be. We've got to think of it not just in terms, as you say, of those larger tech platforms who are likely to be caught by the measures that are introduced under its powers, but also for other companies who will see this as a potential opportunity in order to further their commercial agenda via the regulatory and compliance means that the digital markets unit potentially allows them. And you identified some of those companies that have long-standing arguments and debates and disputes. Uh, With some of the larger platforms that you also referenced. The one thing that I suspect some listeners on the line will wonder about is that we have the very similarly named Digital Markets Act in the EU, and then we have the Digital Markets Unit in the UK, and they sound quite similar, maybe not precisely. So, can you just explain what are the key differences between the two regimes? And I guess for those people who are thinking through, What does it mean in practice? What is the practical difference going to be in the day-to-day regulation for companies on both sides of the channel? So the DMCC
1: bill is uh, can be broadly seen as the British analog of the European Digital Markets Act or DMA. Uh, The two pieces of legislation share uh, a lot of their objectives, but the difference primarily is that the DMCC bill is predicated on a broader set of criteria to determine which firms hold SMS than the DMA permits in its designation of gatekeeper platforms. But while more firms will be captured under the DMU's uh, SMS criteria, they won't automatically be captured under the regime unless the DMU has concerns about the quality of competition in a firm's activities. The DMA is also more prescriptive in its specific detailing of measures firms have to adhere to uh, than its more flexible UK counterpart, which allows the DMU, the freedom to impose tailored obligations to individual platforms. In terms of what regulation ends up actually looking like, we'll probably see a lot more regulatory alignment than has been stated by ministers keen to frame this as a Brexit bonus. Uh, And as I mentioned earlier, the two frameworks share very similar objectives, tackling the market dominance of tech giants to facilitate better competition in digital activities uh, and with the DMA slated for earlier implementation than the DMCC bill, regulators on this side of the channel will be watching and learning from the European Commission and are pretty likely to borrow from its more effective measures.
0: Yeah, because it's interesting, you've seen rhetoric from the government, both when the bill was published and since it's been published, but even beforehand, where they were quite clean to emphasise that... It was more flexible and more targeted and more nimble than the EU equivalent and where in some ways sounded like it was trying to be sold as almost a compensatory measure to those larger companies who are going to be regulated by the digital markets unit that, hey, look, at least it's better than what the EU's doing. But as you say, the practical outcomes could actually be quite converged and similar despite the design differences in the regulation. So let's move on to a totally different topic before we then pivot back to merger control and Microsoft Activision. You mentioned before uh, this issue around publishers uh, and how they interact with tech platforms and how the bill is going to empower measures in order to tackle this. Um, The basic political or commercial dynamics here are publishers, news publishers in particular, wanting to ensure better terms better levels of remuneration uh, from tech platforms. Now, we can put aside the rights and wrongs of whether uh, they should do this and should ask this and focus more on the practicalities of how this is happening. We've seen major cases around this in Australia, where I think Meta indeed even threatened to leave the country as a result. And we've also seen similar measures brought in by the EU's Copyright Directive to empower publishers And then negotiating leverage. So again a similar question to the one before but on a different topic, how is what is being proposed in the bill similar or different to some of those headline grabbing measures we've seen in other parts of the world? So just to set the scene and give a little bit of context, uh,
1: news publishers have long complained that the repackaging of their news content into social media posts and aggregation into online newsstands operated by tech giants has eaten into their direct web traffic, and go their advertising revenues. This dynamic is obviously not unique to the UK, and as you say, Australia and the EU have introduced legislation to address it in recent years, uh, and Canada and the US look set to follow suit. What the DMCC bill will do is to allow the DMU to impose PCIs, pro-competitive interventions, and conduct requirements on SMS firms, using third-party content to redress imbalances in negotiating power. In practice, this could look like allowing publishers greater oversight over platform algorithms driving traffic and revenue, or giving them more control over the presentation and branding of their content. In pricing-related disputes, the DMU will establish a binding final offer arbitration mechanism where SMS firms are found to have breached a conduct requirement to agree to fair and reasonable payment terms. Both parties involved in the disputes must submit pricing proposals, and the DMU will determine which offer is fairer. This mechanism is very similar to Australia's News Media Bargain Code, introduced in 2021 to significant opposition from Google and Facebook, the latter of which went on to withdraw its news services from the country until a compromise was eventually reached. Under the Code, designated firms have to agree fair terms with news publishers for use of their content and a final offer arbitration mechanism also exists. As it stands, uh, no platforms have actually been designated under the code with the threat of designation seemingly sufficient incentive for Google and Meta to strike voluntary remuneration deals with news media organisations. The EU copyright directive deviates from both the British and Australian approaches uh, in that it aims to empower publishers against platforms rather than incentivising or imposing commercial deals, uh, the Article 15 of the Copyright Directive grants news publishers direct copyright control over the online use of their content by platforms. So to sum up, the DMCC bill's approach to platform publisher arbitration is far more akin in approach and structure uh, to the Australian News Media Bargaining Code than it is to the Copyright Directive.
0: The most interesting element that jumped out there at Bart, was... The fact that actually in Australia, the powers in the sense haven't really been used, but they have provided an incentive for agreements between the industry participants. It would be very interesting to see if that happens in the UK as well. And I think we should probably note, to be entirely fair to the actors in which we're talking about here, that in many cases, there is a relatively collegiate relationship between some of the tech platforms and the publishers. Uh, in other cases, perhaps not. So the necessity of this tool is not necessarily ubiquitous, but certainly I imagine some news publishers would argue some of the relations uh, would be advantageous in giving them that additional leverage that they seem to have gained uh, in Australia, even without having to use the specific powers. So let's move back to this topic of merger control, which has grabbed all the headlines over the past week. Um, Before we go into the exact CMA decision on Microsoft Activision, can you just talk us through What in the digital markets unit as part of the bill that you've been describing in the UK, does it say much about merger control? What are the specific proposals and changes that we're likely to see there? Yeah, uh, SMS designated
1: firms under this new framework will have to adhere to a stricter merger controls and reporting regime. Under this framework, mandatory reporting and review requirements will be imposed when a merger involving an SMS firm any a UK connected entity sees the SMS firm's equity or voting share across any of three benchmarks, either 15%, 25% or 50%. Uh, and the value of the SMS, firm, uh, the SMS firm's holding is over £25 million. Any mergers meeting this condition must be reported to the DMU ahead of time. The DMU will then be able to exercise information gathering and investigatory powers to determine whether or not a merger should go ahead. This new reporting requirement will lead to greater direct scrutiny of mergers involving SMS-designated firms with intervention obviously made more likely. Uh, Beyond this, the CMA's merger powers uh, are set out in the Enterprise Act 2002 and haven't changed.
0: So I guess when we think about the applicability of those measures to SMS, I, i.e. very large online services, if we think about how these rules will change, well, it probably wouldn't change anything for a decision like Activision, Microsoft, because it, that was just such a blockbuster, big transaction, that that was always going to get noticed, and always going to get investigated by the CMA. However, when we look at other decisions that were taken, or not taken at the smaller end of the scale, it does imply greater scrutiny of all types of transactions uh, that large tech platforms are likely to take. So uh, we should anticipate, I guess, uh, more investigations in the future around um, so-called killer acquisitions. So let's flip on to the decision that I guess listeners have probably been waiting all, all episode to hear us talk about, which is Microsoft Activision. Could you... Just talk us through the rationale behind which the CMA has decided to block the transaction and also give a little bit more detail. I talked about Brad Smith's comment about the darkest day uh, for Microsoft in the UK, a little bit more detail about what the reaction has been both from Microsoft and Activision, but also the wider policy community. How is this being perceived? So the CMA blocked the
1: proposed merger
0: between Microsoft and
1: Activision after concluding that it would cement Microsoft's already very strong market power in cloud gaming. The CMA suggested that if the merger was to be permitted, Microsoft would likely opt to make Activision's games, which includes some wildly popular titles like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. Microsoft would make them exclusive to its cloud gaming service. The responses from Microsoft and Activision have been forceful, to say the least, with Microsoft President Brad Smith, uh, who you referred to earlier, uh, using the determination to argue that the EU is now a better place to start a business than the UK. The severity of that reaction prompted CMA CEO Sarah Cardell to defend the decision, arguing that it was the right decision for UK consumers and businesses uh, while also noting the US Federal Trade Commission's action to block the deal, reaction to the decision has been mixed. With former FTC Chair William E. Kovacic describing the ruling as a very big win for the broader effort to realign antitrust enforcement, but Michael Pachter, Managing Director of Equity Research, at Wedbush Securities, arguing that the CMA is on the wrong side of the law of this ruling. So it's fair to say the consensus on this decision uh, has not yet settled.
0: So it's interesting to point out the reaction of this, the ripples of this decision to other parts of the world. And clearly, all eyes are now going to start moving towards Brussels uh, and what happens with the decision that DG Competition takes. And then a slightly slower timeframe, we've got the Federal Trade Commission also Looking at this merger case, but the, the CMA has first mover advantage. Although, in some sense you might think that the CMA senior leadership might see this as first mover disadvantage, given the political argument that they have now found themselves in. And if you are to reflect on how digital regulation is now being structured, both with the Digital Markets Unit that we've been talking about, but also issues like the Online Safety Bill, where Ofcom will have a lot of power to intervene. Against companies, and you have companies like WhatsApp, as we talked about in the last podcast, threatening to leave the country if they if Ofcom does so in a certain way, I guess today's decision does just act as a reminder about how exposed regulators are on the decisions that they are taking here if they blow up in this way, and that's only going to happen more as regulators are asked to take on more powers in overseeing digital markets in the UK whether that's on content regulation or digital competition so it's something they're going to have to actually see, they're actually likely to see more of this rather than less in the coming years i suppose is the point i'm trying to draw out and if we take back to that international point that we we was, I started venturing onto there but when you take together today's decision the legislation we've been talking about with the digital markets unit And then also we've got previous decisions. There was the CMA blocked Meta acquiring Giphy. Are we now in a situation where, despite the mood music that Rishi Sunak has around the new Department for Science, Innovation and Tech, despite the promises post-Brexit of the UK being more friendly to business, including tech businesses in the regulatory regimes that it would set up, are we now finding ourselves in the situation where actually the UK has taken on the mantle of the EU and DG Comp in being one of, if not the most aggressive, dit- digital antitrust enforcer in the world? I think it's
1: fair to say that the CMA has more than proven its willingness to take on big tech in recent years. The Meta, Giphy and Microsoft Activision rulings are just two of a series of decisions taken by the CMA against big tech firms. The CMA is also investigating Google over changes to its privacy sandbox browser and Amazon over anti-competitive practices and has taken action against hidden advertising by influencers on Instagram. With the DMU set to come into force, as we've been speaking about today, big tech competition regulation will be tightened further and more proactive action is likely. Uh, this will all make a rather interesting dynamic to observe, given the Prime Minister's status pro-tech agenda. DG Comp has also been aggressive on big tech, finding Google over €4 billion Euros in 2022 Uh, But it's also lost some big cases in recent years, including one concerning Apple's tax affairs. But certainly as things stand currently, the CMA looks like a regulator that has grown in confidence and is comfortable uh, taking a position amongst the most assertive competition regulators in the world. Although with DG Comp's decision on Microsoft due to be published in a few weeks, uh, we'll see whether it also opts to reject the merger.
0: Yeah, and that's really where all the action is going now. You, there was lots of talk in the wake of the CMA's decision that Microsoft and Activision are going to appeal its decision. But actually, when you think through the logic of the global nature of merger control, if DG competition in the European Commission also blocks the merger in, what, three weeks' time, then it's clearly not going to go to a full appeal in the UK because the, the parties would have to, Appeal both decisions in parallel, and at that point, typically, mergers tend to unravel, and you're unlikely to see it go through in the face of such unified opposition. And in the background, if they were to continue both appeals in that scenario, you would also see quite a robust and indeed aggressive FTC under Lena Khan. Pretty likely to take, um, not not necessarily probable, but there's a strong chance that the FTC would take a similar position to other authorities. So the prospect would be quite complicated and difficult. So let's see, all eyes on Brussels uh, in the next few weeks. I think, as you say, once we see that, then probably we'll have a a better evidence base on which to judge uh, my question about whether the UK really is the harder line European trust buster uh, these days. So thanks Bart for taking us through that. And to those on the line, thank you for joining. And as always, if you, your business, or your investment are exposed to either the fallout of the Microsoft Activision decision or the more medium term consideration around what the digital markets unit will do and how it will reshape the digital landscape within the UK, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find the contact details for Bart and also for me, but also our colleagues on the GC website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks for joining. See you next week. Bye-bye.